This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to Navkender Singh from IDC on the smartphone coverage and the recent demonetization event in India. We examine Apple, the Asian OEM brands from China to Korea, and the local Indian brands which are competing in a price-sensitive and hyper-competitive Indian market, and the implications of demonetization to the growth of digital payments across India. Hi, Navkender. Hi, Bernard. How are you? I'm good in Singapore. How are you in India? Very well. Thank you for having me here, Bana. And I'm talking to Navkender Singh, Technology Analyst for IDC India. And this interview came through an introduction via a common friend of ours, Brian Ma. So Navkender, before we go on to today's main topics, I want to start off with asking you, how do you start your career? All right. Banad, I started my career around 12, 13 years back. I started my career with the telecom company in India based out of Bombay. I have about 12 years of 12 years of rich experience in telecom, then some part of banking and a lot of technology analysis and strategic partnerships with handset vendors, with consumer devices vendors, you know, apart from the telecom space. And I've been in IDC for a little short of about two years now. That's how my career has been. So what's your current role and coverage for IDC India then? So I'm a part of IDC India and South Asia, in which we say that India, Bangladesh and Sri Lanka market. I take care of all connected consumer devices, as we call it, for India, Bangladesh and Sri Lanka, which includes all kind of research and consulting for smartphones, mobile phones, which includes the feature phones also, tablets, then wearables also. And slowly, slowly, you know, as the market matures, we're planning to go into categories like AR, VR and drones and other stuff also as a market matures. So do you also cover things like enterprise mobility and some of these new things for example like self-driving cars if india is actually going to be starting something on that too yeah so that's what i said as and when the market matures we'll start covering it we right now we're right now covering enterprise mobility from the space of that how you know mobile devices are moving in the enterprise space what kind of application you know other stuff is going into the enterprise on the mobility side what kind of things the enterprises want to migrate as a workforce becomes more mobile more work from home so we're trying to track that also. Yes, we touch upon those things also. So in your career journey, what are the most interesting lessons you can share with our audience then? So when I started my career, I started when the telecom boom was happening in India way back in 2003 and four. That particular time, there used to be a player which you know has again re-entered the market. There used to be Reliance Communication, which is now called Reliance Geo. They really came in the market when everybody else was you know actually charging the telecom customers for their incoming calls. So one of the things which I learned was that, so if you give consumer value to the customer, they see it and if they see it everywhere you know all parts of their life consumer want to pay for it one of the things which i've seen there is that some of the the indian market is very different from other market india market is very diverse there are about 27 28 states almost all the states are equivalent to one country you know in terms of population in terms of the diversification they have in terms of the dialects the language the kind of go-to market is required and some of the things which we have seen in the market is that the telecom player 
So I have about five or six years of telecom experience. And we were the first ones here in the world to launch one pesa per second. So pesa is equivalent to one cent, one cent per second kind of calling, which is actually as bottom as somebody can go. And we really had, uh, you know, good about two, three years of growth in the telecom market. We actually changed the telecom scenario that time. Third interesting thing which I'm seeing for the past two, three years is the rise of the China-based brands in the Indian market. People started thinking about two years back that Indian market, you know, is very difficult. It's very different. Chinese guys won't be able to decode the market. But these guys have really taken the market by storm. And some of the India-based players, I'm sure we'll discuss during the discussion, are really feeling the heat from these China-based players in terms of both the product portfolio they have, in terms of the marketing spend, in terms of really understanding and engaging with the customer. So you actually learned that how the actual market has actually changed over the years. So which comes to the main topic of the day is to talk about smartphones in India. It's a very interesting phenomenon because in the last few years, there's a lot of startup unicorns that have built their riches on the mobility space. I want to start off by asking, in today's India, because I know a decade ago, people were using Nokia feature phones. Today, what is the normal Indian smartphone user like and what are the user habits? So Indian smartphone user base is around 400 million plus right now. This has really grown in the past two years. I remember about two years back, it used to be around 200 million plus, 250 million plus. The real boom has happened in the last two years. An Indian smartphone customer is, see, you have to, you have to understand from a lens that Indian user is a very young user right now. About 35% of the you know, Indian population is you know below uh, the age of 24, so from 15 years to 24. So really, this customer is really evolved, uh, you know, as we call them millennials. They do not know the life without the internet. They want to be always connected. And that's why uh, the smartphone market has grown really in the past three, four years. You know, if you see the Indian smartphone consumer is always latched onto the internet. He's always using WhatsApp, which is like, you know, what you have WeChat in China. We have WhatsApp here, which is a Facebook property. People are Instagramming. They use a lot of the smartphone on YouTube videos. The data cost is falling and that's why they consume a lot of entertainment content. They play a lot of games. They sideload a lot of videos. Since you know about Bollywood, Bollywood is a very big movie industry in India. People love the music. People love their films. People love their movies. People sideload the music, sideload the you know films. And they keep on watching on the large screen. So that's why Indian smartphone consumer prefers a large screen, five inches plus. Don't want to spend too much on the smartphone. They're looking for value for money. They're able to calculate the value which they are getting in terms of both data connectivity and the spends they want to do on the device while they're buying the device at the retail counter. So they don't want to spend too much on that. They're looking for value on all aspects of life. The ASP of smartphone in India is almost one third of China. It's about $135. Compared to market like China, which is about $300 plus. And 85% of the market is less than $250. So that really makes the point that it's a you know, very value for conscious kind of consumer, Indian smartphone consumer. So what about the Indian local apps, for example, Paytm, Flipkart? Does the Indian smartphone user also uses them as well? Oh, I also forgot to mention like Ola Caps as well for ride sharing. Yeah, so most of these apps are, you know, coming preloaded or downloaded by the customers. Most of these Amazon and Flipkart, they already have tie-ups with many of the brands. When the phone is started for the first time, the apps are pre-burned. But yes, people have started a lot of things, lots of these internet properties you know, over mobile because that's the... So most of the customers have the first internet-enabled device is the mobile phone for them, smartphone for them. It's not the PC or the laptop. 
Okay, we have to understand that point of view. People say that if I'm able to access these kind of apps on a mobile phone, why do I need to buy another device? So it's not a multi-device kind of market. Multi-device is a very urban and affluent phenomenon. But an average consumer wants to spend about $200, $250, $150, $250 on the phone. And he wants to access the internet, all his entertainment needs, all his gaming needs on the phone. You know, as uh, we'll discuss about the, I think, the demonetization also. But most of the things for this mobile wallets and other stuff, after November 8th, lots of this Paytm and other mobile wallets started being used over mobile. But people access lots of Facebook, WhatsApp over their mobile than on the PCs or the laptops. Effectively, what I'm hearing from you is that India is a mobile first market similar to China, similar to Indonesia or other related emerging economies. What I'm interested to know is how do you collect the data in getting the market share of the India smartphone market? Okay, so we'll be able to divide the discussion into two parts. One is we, we size the overall market of India. And there we do is that we get a lot of import data from the customs and the ports. But that's just one source of the data we have. We have global, you know, Asia-Pacific and India-level relationship with all ecosystem partners, all ecosystem players, ranging from all the brands like Oppo, Vivo, Samsung, Indian brands, Micromax, Intex, Lava, to OS players like Google, to platform players like Facebook, to all the chipset manufacturers like Qualcomm and Intel and Spectrum and, and MediaTek. Plus, we have a very strong research methodology and research research capability, which we you know track all the ODMs and all the suppliers who are sitting in China, Shenzhen also. So we triangulate the data from all these sources and then we arrive at the size of the market, which we discuss with vendors you know, on periodic basis, on quarterly basis. That's how we arrive at the, you know, that's the methodology we use for an overall India level. Plus, we have a very extensive, very exhaustive city level research also in which we actually try to size the top 50 cities of India on a monthly basis. So, for example, I can tell you, you know, an iPhone 6S sold in the month of December in a city of Delhi was how much? In this particular angle, we have we have a capability where we'll go to all the channel partners. We seek primary research from all the channel partners on a monthly basis. Then we consolidate the data and then we arrive at a figure that on a brand level, at a city level, how are the brands moving in each of the cities? What are the smartphone models which are doing well in each of the cities? What are the trends in terms of specifications which are doing well there? So, for example, East India, you know, prefers a 3000 mAh or a West India, you know, goes for a 4000 mAh battery kind of models. We can tell, you know, that's the depth of the analysis which we do. Currently, which are the top five smartphone brands in India? So right now, you know, let's say last year, at calendar year 2016, Indian market, Samsung has around 25% of the market share. Second comes Xiaomi with about 9% market share. Then Lenovo, which includes Lenovo plus Motorola, that's little less than 9%. And then we have new entrants, Oppo and Vivo, which have really taken the market by storm. So basically top five being Samsung, Xiaomi, Lenovo, Oppo and Vivo. Interestingly, if you see, in last year, there was none of the Indian brands, but, you know, for the first time, none of the Indian brands are in the top five players for India market. So you're referring to something like Micromax, which is a local Indian brand. Yeah, Micromax, Lava, Intex, they dropped, uh, you know, out of five for the first time since they started from Indian market. I want to understand how are Indian users divided between iOS and Android and how do they access the mobile apps? Is it through the App Store or maybe through preload in India? 
But Indian market is a very Android heavy market. You know, just to give you a perspective, it's about 97% share of Indian market is Android. You know, iOS runs only on Apple. It's about only two, two and a half percent of the market. And the rest is Tizen, which is really Samsung Z series, which is really about 0.8 to 1%. And rest are window phone and other sailfish and other stuff. But it's a very Android heavy market. Coming to the second point, which you asked, some of the apps are preloaded like Flipkart and Amazon and maybe Zomato and maybe Ola and Uber. For most of the other apps, the news apps, the entertainment app, people actually download them. For example, right now, people are watching a lot of live TV because of, you know, data affordability. People download a lot of these apps through Play Store. So Play Store is available to all the customers when they buy an Android phone. It's not a market like China where Play Store you might or might not be available, but Play Store is available. They download most of the apps from there. There is no side loading of the apps as such, if you ask me, for a you know, smartphone point of view. Either they are preloaded, very few of them, about five, six of them. Most of the apps are downloaded via the, the Play Store. So, which comes to my point, since iOS is less than 2%, how is Apple being perceived in India? Does the iPhone actually appeal to the Indian user at all? Oh, yes. See, Apple being a very premium brand, the positioning has been maintained in India and it's really an aspirational kind of brand for Indian smartphone consumers. India has basically two strong sets of consumers for the iPhones, for Apple. One is the affluent, uh, though you know not very large in numbers, but they are the trendsetters, people who wait for each cycle of iPhone to be launched around October, November. They replace their iPhone from 6, 6 plus, and then 7, and 7 plus, and so on and so forth. These are really the trendsetters. The second group is the growing middle class, which is a you know, much larger, about 60-70% of the market is the uh, growing middle class from a smartphone consumer point of view. They're much larger in numbers and they're the aspirer for the global brands. They might be using some India or China-based brands, but ultimately they look for an Apple, you know, to be acquired as a you know, next smartphone or something. Apple really needs to have this, you know, outlook while dealing with this particular middle class, which is a ballooning segment, which is the aspiring and, you know, that's why Apple has done really well in India in the past quarter or so. One, obviously, in October, November, there's an iPhone 7 launch. But secondly, if you understand the Indian market, October is really the festival season for Indian market. We have festivals of Diwali. Then we have other festivals. There's some holiday season also. You know, it's just like December, what's in USA or Singles Day for China. We have a long drawn one month kind of bonanza in the market in which all the brands and almost all categories, all consumer categories, smartphones more so, through online and offline both, try to push the marketing blitz, you know, very high decibel market, uh, you know, happens. And that's why Apple did very well, uh, you know, because they dropped the prices of their N-2 generation phones of 5S, you know, iPhone 5S was being sold at around less than $300 and that really gave a push. So when you are getting an iPhone at $300 where the average price of a new phone bid was $600, $700 plus, it really gives a push to the brand and really the aspirational customers who are sitting at a fringe of about $150, $200, $250, they want to acquire an iPhone. It's an aspirational brand. So given that Apple is going to put manufacturing in India to basically have a made in India phenomenon, and also Apple has actually rolled out the iPhone SE. Do you foresee the Apple market share will actually start to increase similar to what has happened to China? The manufacturing in India, you know, might not be as simply, you know, translate into the price movement for iPhones in India. See, Apple's decision of manufacturing in India will provide options to, to Apple to launch iPhones at lower prices. Sure. Because once you start manufacturing in India, there is a, you know, there's a concession which you get about 10 to 12 percent duty concession versus if you are importing everything to India. That 10 to 12 percent Apple needs to decide they want to pass it on to the consumer in terms of lower prices or 
they want to keep the prices same and the, and then pump that kind of money into the channel and the distribution and the marketing marketing they're already doing a lot of stuff but india market as you go further the marketing becomes difficult it needs to be more local in smaller cities and towns just like in china you need to have strong regional partnerships there strong city level partnerships with the trade partners with the channel partners so i think you know our opinion is obviously apple will benefit out of this they might want to spend a large chunk of this tax saving about 10 to 12% into actually spending more on marketing and distribution and you know channel management you know all the key smartphone vendors including samsung huawei oppo they've already started manufacturing in india since it's very viable to manufacture locally because of the tax differential but locally manufactured iphones will also appeal to the users who would like to purchase a made in india product so that's one of the movements which has happened in the past 6 months so all the made in india phones in india actually the box has a tiger which is a made in india logo stamped on it in a large size so people really take pride in the fact that it's made in india we have arrived in uh, you know on a bird scale on a bird level we are producing goods which are as good as a you know global level or any other in the world so i think that's also one of the angles which apple can take so now i'm going to come to android which hosts 97% of the market share so how are the asia oems predominantly the chinese ones for example xiaomi huawei oppo vivo and Korean brands like Samsung entering India how are they being perceived by the Indian customers See Samsung has been in India for the past 15 years or so smartphone they started about 2006 7 but Samsung has really 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 understood the market and you know although they might have dropped the share for about what they had about 2 years back but they are still able to have see if you see 25% of the Samsung share and then in a second place second place pair is about 9% share So there's a large difference in the first and the second place. Samsung has really understood the market. They have product portfolio ranges from about $150 to about $700 to $750 also. At you know almost every $30 $40 they have a product. They refresh their product cycle you know very frequently about 6 months or so. Their distribution is very strong. They have very strong distribution network in smaller towns, smaller cities, own shops. Their branding is very good. So Samsung is really pull kind of brand. You don't need to push the brand to the customers. People come to the retail shop and ask for Samsung. Now it depends on the retailer. He wants to sell the Samsung or he wants to sell Oppo, Vivo. Now how Oppo and Vivo and other China-based players have you know, played in the market in in the past year and a half is they have done very high decibel marketing at below the line. in smaller towns smaller shops multi brand outlets in india to the extent that the they buy the whole shelf space they buy the whole visibility space for their banners and everything the whole shop looks like a you know green colored oppo shop or a blue colored vivo shop plus they are spending a lot of money on giving commissions you know per device sales to the retailers you know the distributor level also plus they are hiring a lot of you know educated who understand technology promoters the young boys and the girls who they make them stand at you know the retail counter and so when a customer walks in asking for a samsung or some other phone they try to tell them that you know oppo has this much feature this is the ram this is the processor this is the megapixel and everything they try to push that thing and they've been very successful you know so far in that and we expect that to go on because they're spending a lot of money on that and that's why some of the indian players and other players are finding it difficult to match the kind of spends they're doing in the marketing both at the btl and the atl level also above the line also they have bollywood actors as brand ambassadors they have tv campaigns which are very regular they buy space very regularly in national newspapers so they're doing a lot of so they're spending a lot of money and that's what is working for them 
given that Xiaomi is just behind Samsung, how are they actually getting the market share in India? And do you see their market share growing up or actually going down because of Oppo and Vivo being in the market now? Xiaomi has been a very interesting case for Indian market. They obviously are not spending as much money as, you know, as Oppo and Vivo for marketing and other stuff. But they have done you know, really clever stuff uh, you know, in terms of the price specification value equation for the Indian customer. For example, the same kind of smartphone model which is available by Oppo and Vivo with some very high decibel marketing is available around $280 to $70. Xiaomi is trying to sell it uh, you know, at around $200, $210, which really and only online. So you have to mind that, uh, you know, Xiaomi is mostly online. They're trying to spread offline also now. Offline means, uh, you know, physical presence at the stores. They're doing only online through me.com or through some of the online platform partner players. But they have been able to develop a community of very loyal me fan base through digital marketing, through Facebook, through Twitter and other stuff. And all the product launches were, you know, obviously attended by Hugo Barra, who is a very popular figure in Indian market. You're loved by fans, loved by other guys also. And they have done sporadic, you know, marketing stuff, but not, they don't spend too much on that. And I think they have a lead time for about one year you know, from Oppo and Vivo. These all things put together, I think these things have worked really well for Xiaomi in the past. You know, hopefully we are seeing that Xiaomi should be able to expand you know, offline also now. But needs to be seen offline market is very different in India. Offline is about 70% of Indian market is still offline, which is non-online. You have to go really deep, uh, you know, the delivery, the service and everything. I think those need to be seen. But given how Xiaomi is doing, we don't see any reason why they should not grow further from here. So that's actually very interesting to know. And I thought I should just have one more question. How are Indian local brands, for example, Micromax, Lava, how are they coping because with the onslaught of iPhone and the Chinese and Korean Android phones flooding the market? Do you see that they actually have a fighting chance? So majorly all Indian players, uh, you know, historically, they've played their game in the entry-level to mid-level kind of segment. So around $100 to about $150, max about $200. That's where they used to play the game. And iPhone is a very different thing. You know, Apple is distinctly placed in the premium segment, $300 plus. Although Indian vendors, you know, yes, definitely they're facing a tough time with the strong competition of the China-based vendors, which are very heavy in their marketing budgets and bringing a strong price-to-specification office to the market. The share of these China-based vendors is around 46 percent last year their shipments have obviously doubled from 2015 and this is the first time with none of the indian homegrown vendors as we saw are in the top five so they are struggling from that point of view and they i think you know as per our estimates indian brands were a little slow to react to the you know this whole movement to 4g for the indian market so they were trying to push 3g for a long time and i think they had a little lag in responding to the market of the whole 4g then we had operator push on the 4G and then people like Oppo, Vivo and Xiaomi came in the market and they flooded the Indian smartphone market with 4G phones. And that's why the struggle lies for these guys. You know, I think this struggle will go on for another couple of quarters. It remains to be seen, you know, how many of these players remain or how many of these players you know, are able to sustain the onslaught which Oppo and Vivo are bringing to the market. We went through the first part of our conversation with regards to the smartphone market share in India and you have given a very good overview with regards to Apple, the Android OEMs from Samsung to Xiaomi and of, of course the local Indian brands as well, Micromax, Lava. So I want to come to another 
conversation with you regarding something called demonetization in India because as an external watcher I've heard a lot looking at the tweets of Vijay Shekhar Sharma the CEO of Paytm and a couple of Indian thought leaders during the, their period of crisis so can you tell me a little bit what is this whole demonetization in India is about and why is it so important to you thanks Bernard uh, you know very interesting topic this has actually hit you know all facets of life and as a consumer as an analyst uh, we need to you know be be clear about the impacts of demonetization see demonetization you know as we call it is actually you know the process where on november 8 the government of india decided to make the rupees 500 and rupees 1000 notes in non legal tender from the indian market so they were no longer acceptable as a currency you know for the indian consumer in the indian market it really shook the market at that time and i think uh, we need to understand step back and understand that why it was done in hindsight obviously we have a lot of information now why it was done one of the major things why it was done one of the major reasons was to tackle the black money in the economy so to understand this rupees 500 and rupees 1000 notes constituted about 87% of the cash currency in the indian market so suddenly that is sucked out of the system it really hit you know all facets of life but there was a lot of black money which was black money means which is all cash transactions which was actually non reported non income tax uh, you know filed nobody is paying tax on these one of the things was black money right second was to lower the cash circulation in the country which is actually directly related to the so called perceived corruption in the country so a lot of cash transactions happen and then third thing was to eliminate the fake currency in the market we saw a lot of cases last year and you know past so many years there were fake currencies you know which are being published and you know printed and then being circulated in the market you know all those things in the dodgy funds which can be used by the terrorist groups and fund you know terrorism in india and fourth was really a push to actually give you know impetus to the to the digital payment kind of ecosystem in india so that was one of the you know by you know benefits of the thing so these are really the four pronged uh, Uh, you know reasons why this happened i guess the question for me to ask is why was it done such a haste manner because when it happened i mean what led to the government just suddenly announce it and then it impacted the market so quickly you know the hindsight if you see banad uh, there is no easy way to do this if you have to suck out 87% of the currency from the indian market if you give a notice you know, to the public to the citizens of the country all those you know objectives they might not be fulfilled so people who have black money they might want to convert it into you know white money people who have cash they might want to deposit into the system people might want to take the cash out of the country so there was really no easy way out of it obviously it was very abrupt it you know actually halted the consumption for about 2 3 weeks there was absolutely you know pandemonium in the banks in the atms we could not get you know money the daily limit was about 2000 weekly limit was about 2000 then it's about 4500 so all those things happened but there is no easy way to do this and you know i think that and india being such a large economy large population 1.3 billion people you know i thought the we think that the abruptness was the key to the whole thing you know had a notice been given you know i think half the benefits would not have been reaped and also half the disaster as well right yeah True, true. The sides of the coin, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But I want to ask a, a much more interesting question. How did the customers or citizens navigate with the lack of cash in the market? Are they resorting to technology to solve the issue, or or there are other means to do that? About eight to ten weeks, you know, immediately following the demonetization. date the mobile wallets and the digital payment system and the credit card you know, acceptance and usage really went through the roof because people really had no other option you know cash was hard to come by uh, you know there was weekly limit 
for the withdrawal so most of the people had to withdraw the money there were pandemonium there were absolutely long queues people used to spend throughout the days you're missing their offices you're going to the banks withdrawing money trying to withdraw money so people started using credit cards started using digital wallets paytm did really well mobiquick free charge all these guys they did really well but i think after 10 weeks or so now we are seeing that cash is again in the system not so much as you know probably before demonetization pre monetization but i think you know, again now the cash is readily available in the banks and the atms also now the usage of paytm and everything has gone down a lot in terms of at least the merchants accepting it but it's really about you making a habit for the customer also So so I think one of the objectives was to make it to the digital payment you know less cash for indian consumers i think people now know that there's an option of paying via paytm or free charge or mobiquick or some other government payment wallets or their bank mobile wallets people at least know about it use it less you know people will evolve with the technology they will learn from it you know as and when it goes on it will start happening but yes people have started using it now more than obviously pre monetization just a curious question which of the mobile wallets actually gained the most from this whole demonetization is it paytm because i i remember that they went something like 100 million to 200 million users now yes paytm definitely and all credit to them because they were present in most of you know customer touch point for as small as a vegetable and a fruit seller to a grocery seller before demonetization also I think it really uh, you know gave an impetus to them and I mean they were able to enroll and impanel the merchants at a, you know at a very fast pace so all credit to Paytm and they they reap most of the benefits yes Paytm is a mobile wallet right you can actually pay insurance bills you can pay electric bills what about the other players then is it something that happened like for example in a city is probably easier to use technology but what about places in the rural areas where it's actually much more difficult to access where you have let low telco coverage then Yeah so one is obviously the data connectivity and the coverage second you have to see that mobile wallet is as good as you know the kind of the spread that you know it's able to make in terms of acceptance so i'll be willing to use a mobile wallet more if it's accepted at more places right if my grocery or a milk or a fruit vegetable vendor or a retail vendor or a shopping guy is able to accept it i probably might start using it if those guys are not impaneled by the mobile wallet guy why would i use it you know i have no incentive to use it i can only pay bills there so it's really about that and you know i think most of these wallets try to impanel all these merchants and all the customer touch points in terms of fuel in terms of bills utility bills in terms of everyday usage products and i think on the rural area yes you know there is some education issue also there because these kind of technologies and the usage of these kind of technology at least in the rural areas and the tier 4 towns they need to evolve and people are a little more skeptic about the technology where the money is involved for example the credit cards are also printed in not much, not so much in india they still believe in cash but yes you know some of the wallets have you know made inroads at least people know about the option now they might start using it now or 6 months down the line but people know about it option now data connectivity is just one part of it data connectivity is not so bad in rural area also now because both two three top telco players have a fair enough data connectivity in in smaller towns and rural villages also now currently in terms of telco coverage is india in the 2g 3g and 4g state yeah so 4g is you know available almost in about 80 to 85% of the towns in india by one of the players one of the largest players the largest player in india market is airtel they have been uh, launching 4g sporadically before reliance jio launched last year but they are also present in most of the places so it has all 2g 3g and 4g 
4G is really taking you know front seat right now in both in terms of connectivity, both in terms of marketing, both in terms of data plans, and both in terms of devices also. So it's really about 4G right now. 2G, yeah, some people still use 2G since the data prices you know for 4G are are dropping day by day. Uh, most of the people have started migrating from 2G to 4G. Might not be 3G. So 3G. So 2G to 3G. People felt that the the differential experience is not so much. But 3G to 4G and 2G to 4G experience is a lot better. So people are migrating. So some of the people are actually migrating from 2G to 4G rather than going to 3G and then to 4G. So 4G is doing doing really well in India for the past six to eight months. So with demonetization happening in India, what are the longer term impact in terms of traditional industries, for example, banking or, you know, for typical retail? Would you see more of digital payments adoption and less of actual cash handling? That's a little difficult thing to say because, see, most of the you know, consumers in the Indian market, cash is a very essential component for them. It gives them security that, you know, there's some money lying in their pocket. They feel comfortable in it. Skepticism towards a digital technology. Yes, of course, banking a channel and as an industry needs to mature and graduate themselves into, you know, accepting the fact that more people will start using the internet banking, start using credit cards and debit cards. But I think it is still some quarters or even a couple of years away. Although Government of India is doing a lot of stuff in digital India, trying to push the digital technology in terms of paying mobile wallets, their own you know, mobile wallets. We have unified unified payment interface. Then we have UID, which is, which is like social security network of USA. It's one identity for Indian citizens, which can be used to pay from, take money or pay somebody based on that you know, particular UID. Government is doing a lot of push, but I think it will take a couple of years to actually for tier four and tier three towns and you know village guys to actually start being, you know, from a comfortable point of view to start using all these technologies. Still cash, cash will remain a main, uh, you know, large company. So that will be something to watch and to look at the impact of how the monetization has actually hit the India market then. Absolutely. Absolutely. It needs to be seen. Yes. Nafkender, thank you for coming on the show. It's a very interesting discussion on demonetization. I'm sure people will look at the digital payment industries with a lot more clarity. Help my audience. How do they find you? Thank you, Bernard. Thank you so much for making me part of this part of the discussion. I'm available You're on Twitter also, Nafkender underscore IDC. That's N-A-V-K-E-N-D-A-R underscore IDC. And I'm at LinkedIn also, Nafkender. So, you know, there's only one of the thing on LinkedIn. You know, that's me, IDC. And you can find me at blongcwrbernardleong.com. Subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E Asia. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast, or TuneIn, or if not, Google Play in the US market. Drop us a note, recommend us on Overcast, and of course, give us a five-star rating on the iTunes store. Once again, Nafkender, uh, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Bernard. Thank you so much. Pleasure talking to you.